Beloved, our call to worship this, this morning is from 1 Chronicles 16, verses 28 through 31. 1 Chronicles 16, 28 through 31. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth, the world also shall be stable, that it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice, and let men say among the nations, The Lord reigneth. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel." But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself." If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.
Beloved, our text for this morning is from the last five verses of Philemon, where we read these words, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute the Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Well, as we come to the close of this series on Philemon, we can say that we have seen the gospel in action. As Paul encourages Philemon to receive Onesimus back into fellowship. Onesimus who had run away. Onesimus who had likely stolen from Philemon. Who had hurt Philemon's person in some way as we saw last week. As Paul stands in the gap and says, whatever he owes, put it on my account. Impute it to me. We saw there a living example of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Christ does in justification, Paul does for fellow believers. The profound power of the gospel we see lifts fellow image bearers of God. Lifts them above social boundaries, a master and a slave, and brings them together through the mediation of one of God's servants, through the mediation of another believer. And binds them together, not just as master and slave, but even more than that, transcends those social boundaries and overturns even these social boundaries. And brings them together as brothers in the Lord. This is what the gospel does. Not just for Philemon and Onesimus, but for us here today in Grand Rapids, this is what the gospel is able to effect. But what, how is Paul going to end this letter? Is he going to give Philemon one last blast and say, you better do this or else? Or will he leave it all up to Philemon? Philemon, it's in, in your court now. Or will he keep Onesimus for himself selfishly? So I really want him to stay with me. He was useful to me. He was an encouragement to me when I was in prison. I'd, I'd rather keep him. And so Philemon, I've, I've been doing all this, but I, I don't really mean it. I want to keep Onesimus for myself. No. Paul doesn't browbeat Philemon. Paul doesn't say that he wants to keep Onesimus. Paul doesn't just leave it up to Philemon. He presses home the obligation that Philemon has, not just to Paul, not just to Philemon, but to Christ. Paul makes this an issue of gospel obedience. He's pressing it home as he ends this delicate letter. He doesn't leave him any other option than obedience to put the gospel into action, to forgive Onesimus his debts, and to receive him back. 
not as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother beloved, begotten in the ministry of Paul in prison. As we saw last time, Paul is eager to see the fruit of faith in Philemon's life. Love towards Onesimus, love towards all the saints, including Onesimus. And so as Paul ends this delicate letter, he does it with four things, four last things. First, he does it with an encouragement to obedience. Secondly, he ends it with a request for hospitality for the future. Thirdly, with a greeting from fellow workers. And fourthly, with a benediction from the Lord. And so he ends this letter with an encouragement to obedience. Paul's opened his own account on behalf of Onesimus. He says, whatever he owes, put it on my account, impute it to me. He offers to repay what the damage that Onesimus has done. He puts himself there and he says to, oh, to Philemon, when you see Onesimus coming, receive him as you would receive me. The question is, will Philemon do this? Listen to what Paul writes in verse 21, encouraging Philemon one final time to do what the gospel requires, not just what Paul requires. And so it's an issue of obedience, not to Paul as a human being, but to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to Christ himself. So what does Paul write? Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee. This is what Paul expects of Philemon. Not as a human demand, but as a fitting gospel response to one who returns and asks for forgiveness. The word confidence is a strong word. It indicates persuasion. Paul is absolutely persuaded that Philemon will respond with obedience. Paul is persuaded that Philemon will do what he's asked and what the gospel calls him to do. Paul writes with a high level of expectation that Philemon would obey in this matter. He's appealed to Philemon's love to all the saints. He's appealed to Philemon's fruits of faith in Christ Jesus, that these would abound in all things that Christ has worked in his life. He's appealed to Philemon based on the change that has happened in Onesimus. Onesimus has spent considerable time with Paul. Paul has shepherded him. Paul has discipled him. And now he, he sends this brother back to Philemon and he says, receive him. He's appealed to Philemon as a partner in the restoration of Onesimus. And now he closes the letter by saying that he is persuaded. He is confident that Philemon will follow through. You see, Paul doesn't just have a high view of Philemon's Christian character. Paul recognizes that the transforming power of the gospel will not leave a person neutral. There will be a desire and a delight to do God's will as revealed in the law as a fitting response to the gospel. So Paul is convinced that the Lord's work in Philemon will issue forth in his obedience, in his sanctification as the Lord works on him in this situation. So Paul's confidence is not centered in man. It's not centered in Philemon. 
but in the sanctifying work of God in Philemon. The transformative power of the gospel in Philemon. That's where our confidence should be as we work with other people. As we build and nurture the relationships that God has established within the body here, within our families, within society. Our confidence, our persuasion of obedience should be centered in the gospel. We see the power of the gospel at work in transforming hearts from serving self to to serving God and serving others. That's what Paul has called Philemon to do in his brief letter. Desires to see that fruit of love exercised. It becomes a matter of obedience to God and, and to His gospel, to the good news. And so it's not too much to say in our relationships with others that we have high expectations of obedience. Not because of who these people are, though that factors into the equation of God has worked in them. But it's the very fact that God has and does work in hearts and lives, that we can have high expectations of obedience from others. It should not be too much to say that we expect obedience from others, as Paul says here, that we're persuaded of their obedience, particularly if they are believers. Because obedience is consistent with the work of God in their lives. Disobedience for a believer. Those two things don't really belong together, do they? And so when we remind others of what their gospel duties are in relationship to one another, it's not too much to say with Paul here, we are persuaded of your obedience in this matter. Not because we think so highly of them, Because the gospel comes with duties and obligations to obey. When the gospel works in a sinner's heart, the gospel also issues forth in obedience to what God calls us to be and to do. And so there ought to be room within our relationships, as Paul has here, to to make a call of obedience to Christ, to remind, remind others of what our duties are in response to what Christ has done for us. But what is the quality of the obedience that Paul is confident of in Philemon's life that he will show in receiving back Onesimus? Is it obedience that does the bare minimum? Children, sometimes that's how you obey, don't you? When your parents tell you to do something. You shuffle your feet, perhaps. You drag your feet. Moving slowly. And you do the bare minimum. But here we see that a heart that is changed by the Lord Jesus doesn't want to just do the bare minimum in matters of obedience to our parents or to others. But a heart that has been changed wants to do more than just the bare minimum. Paul writes in verse 21, having confidence, being persuaded of your obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. 
What is the more than I say that Paul is urging Philemon to do? Well, first of all, he urges Philemon to receive back Onesimus as a brother. As a brother. Transcending that relationship that they had before as as master and slave or servant. Paul says, receive him back as a brother. But I'm persuaded that you'll do even more than that. That you'll set him free. That you'll set him free. The obedience that Paul is persuaded that Philemon will show based on his heart of love for all the saints and his heart of love and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ is an obedience that will do more than is required. It's not a grudging, grumbling obedience that does the bare minimum. It's obedience fueled by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that engages the whole being of a believer. It's an obedience that engages the whole heart of the Christian. An obedience that engages the full resources of the believer. An obedience that goes above and beyond. Not just to receive Onesimus back as a brother, but perhaps even freeing him from his bonds of slavery. Are you ready to go above and beyond in matters of reconciliation? What's at the heart of this relationship here that Paul is seeking to restore? What is it that transforms human relationships? Or we can ask it negatively. What is it that hinders human relationships, particularly among believers in the church? Paul boils it down, doesn't he, to an issue of obedience. Forgiveness and reconciliation should not be an option for believers. It should not be an option. It should be something that we naturally seek as our hearts have been changed by the gospel. Can you bear being at odds with your brother or sister? Think about it just on a on a human, maybe even selfish level. When you're at odds with someone, think of all the energy that, all the negative energy that goes into that. Maintaining your grudge. Holding that sin against them. Trying to avoid them at all costs. It consumes your mind and your, your thoughts and even your heart. To the point where you become bitter and it destroys your soul. And then put it in light of what Christ calls us to be and to do. And how our division and fighting with each other does despot to the name of Christ. is a a poor witness to the unity that is in the Godhead and the unity of the church. It's an issue of obedience. As long as we want to maintain our grudge 
and live at a distance from our brother or sister. We're living in disobedience. So it's an issue of obedience to the gospel. That's what Paul has been driving home all this time in his letter. Faith in Jesus Christ is evident in the fruits of obedience to the law of God. Not as a means to attain salvation now. But as a rule for thanksgiving and thanksgiving for the transforming power of the gospel. So no matter what the issue is, whether it's a broken marriage, whether it's conflict between siblings, physical, biological siblings, or spiritual siblings, whether it's conflict in the family, at work, or in society, the issue of obedience here is crucial. Obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's crucial. Can we imagine how relationships would look if we were persuaded of others' obedience and of our own to the gospel of Christ? Not that the expectation comes from man as we've seen, but but it brings us back to dependence on the power of the gospel, doesn't it? The power of Christ to, to change us. The power of Christ dwelling in us. What would it be like, our relationships, if we not only obeyed, but do more than what is called for, with a heart of joy, with a heart of willingness, with a heart of forgiveness? Will we not only forgive a brother or a sister? We go above and beyond and we we care for them and we love them. We lay ourselves down as a a willing sacrifice, which is our reasonable service, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul encourages Philemon. He encourages us this morning to obedience and the restoration of human relationships particularly between believers, in dependence on the power of the gospel and the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, how will you live in these matters? Will you continue to live in disobedience? Or will you live in joyful obedience? Obedience that goes beyond what is expected. And so seek to live with one another and glorify God. That the world might know that we are one. And as the world sees that we are one, they might see something of God and be drawn. And say how they love one another. That's how Paul ends his letter. I'm confident of your obedience. I'm confident that you're going to do much more than what I say. A statement of expectation. 
the transformative power of the gospel. There's also a request for hospitality. He writes in verse 22, But with all prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. His request is this. Prepare me a stranger's room. Prepare me a room, a foreigner's room. Although not a stranger to Philemon. Paul is requesting a room for Philemon to to lodge him. It speaks of Paul's expectations for Philemon towards himself. That Philemon will show love to Paul as well when he will be released from prison. What this does is it raises the expectations of obedience for Philemon in the case of Onesimus. In a sense, Paul is saying, "I'm, I'm coming, I'm going to follow up. And when I come, when you, when you have that room ready, I'm going to ask you this. Whether you've done what I've asked. Paul doesn't say that. But just the very expectation of his coming will, will spur Philemon on to obedience. Will they find them reconciled? Or still at odds with each other? Paul's impending presence in Philemon's home will surely expedite the obedience of Philemon and test him. This request for hospitality will test Philemon, but it will also be an opportunity to display his faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ practically in his love for all the saints, for Onesimus and now for Paul. Paul's expectation, you see, is that he will be released from prison soon. He writes, For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter. He highlights the encouragement of prayer for the saints that are in distress. He knows that prayer is effective. He highlights it as a means that the body of Christ engages in for those who are in distress, for those who are suffering, for those who are imprisoned. It's an encouragement. He looks back on the short history of the New Testament church and he knows that prayer has been instrumental in releasing the apostles from prison at periodic points in the New Testament church. He trusts that their prayers will be effective in releasing him from this Roman prison. Whether that release was back into Roman society or would be, as we know, released into glory, the prayers were still effective and encouraging for for Paul. His desire was to be released, to come to Philemon, so that he might give himself to Philemon. Paul was requesting hospitality, not just to be for himself, you see, but so that he might give of himself to Philemon. He expects to give himself more fully. Here we see hospitality is a two-way street of encouragement. It encourages and refreshes those saints who are weary and in need. But as they are refreshed, they are in turn able to minister to the host. It's not just a give and take. It's a give and give. Isn't it true that when you host someone in your home, you take out 
a young person for coffee, or you meet someone for lunch. Your intent is to minister to them as you love them in practical ways. You leave refreshed yourself. And so, beloved, this request demonstrates for us the importance of hospitality and prayer in the context of the body, in the context of persecution, suffering, and imprisonment, the context of life in this world. These two aspects of the Christian life are vital fruits of faith in Christ. We're called to pray for those in bonds, both physical and spiritual bonds, knowing that God delights to hear intercessory prayers and to release from the bondage of the evil one, whether it's through soldiers keeping someone in prison or whether it's sin keeping someone in chains. Prayer is vital to the restoration and to the maintenance of relationships within the church and the furtherance of the gospel. It's through hospitality that we minister to others and others can minister to us and encourage us in the Christian life. Let us not discount hospitality and prayer, but see them as vital to sustaining relationships with other believers. As we meet with our small groups on the Lord's Day for fellowship and food, let us keep in mind the purpose for these times of fellowship, whether it's the Lord's Day or, or during the week. It's to strengthen and encourage, not just to receive from others, but to give of ourselves to others as well. So that our relationships with one another might be sustained we might get to know one another better and pray for one another in a more informed way. And so Paul ends his letter with a request for hospitality, intentional, heightening the obedience, the pressure for obedience for Philemon, emphasizing the importance of prayer, but also emphasizing the importance of hospitality in its two-way street of encouragement. But then Paul also ends with a greeting from fellow workers. Verses 23 and 24 includes greetings from various figures in the New Testament church. A list that also appears in the last chapter of Colossians, Colossians 4. Why would Paul include these names at the end of this short letter? If this letter was intended to be a private letter from, from Paul to Philemon, why would he include these names? Why would he include the names at the beginning of the letter? Well, first, it heightens the public nature of how relationships affect one another in the church. By listing these names, Paul is saying that these men are part of that, that intricate web of relationships that makes up the body of Christ. Those who engage in the work of the gospel. What happens with Philemon and Onesimus affects them as well because they knew Onesimus. They knew Philemon. We would say in modern language they have skin in the game. 
they're standing on the sidelines as it were, rooting for Philemon and Onesimus to come together and to be reconciled. They're not in it for this gossipy sort of way. To learn all the important details of the case, no. What happened to Philemon and Onesimus is affecting them. They too are hurt. The scripture teaches, doesn't it, that when one member hurts, all the others feel the pain. And so Paul mentioning them would increase the positive pressure on Philemon to obey and work towards reconciliation with Onesimus. You see, that's how discipline works in the church as well. We often view it negatively. But as discipline is made public, we all have skin in the game, so to speak. What happens with one person affects all of us, even though we might not see it. And so that that public knowledge then exerts positive pressure on the person who is going astray to return. They may not see it that way. That's how Christ intends it. And that's how we need to view it as well. And so these names heightens the public nature of how relationships affect the church, both positively and negatively. Negatively, there's pain. Positively, there's joy when relationships are restored. Secondly, these names would have provided encouragement. Hebrews 11 talks about a great cloud of witnesses. Those are all dead witnesses. But here we have a a cloud, a mini cloud, if you will, of, of living witnesses that encourages Philemon towards obedience. They're watching and praying for good to come out of this situation of of sin and brokenness. It speaks to the role of fellow, fellow believers and church members who know about relationships that have been broken and are in need of gospel repair. By listing these, these names, Paul is, is seeking to encourage Philemon with the thought that these fellow gospel workers are praying for the situation and the people involved. If you know of broken marriages and relationships within the body, within the community, how do you respond to this? By gossiping or talking about it with others and being a source of discouragement? Or do you turn to prayer and encouragement so that reconciliation will take place and unity will be preserved? Are we acting as this cloud of living witnesses for those relationships? Longing for reconciliation. Third, this list of names would have provided invaluable lessons for Philemon. Philemon knew all of these men. And these men all knew Philemon. Epaphras, Paul's fellow prisoner, verse 23. Epaphras was the pastor of the church of Colossae, where Philemon was. 
his own pastor, who was a fellow prisoner of Paul, would have been heavily invested in Philemon and his relationship with Onesimus. For whatever reason, he was imprisoned alongside Paul, and so his name at the end of this delicate letter would have spoken loudly to Philemon. Your pastor cares for you even when he's in prison. Even when he can't be with you, he cares for you. He longs for your fruit of faith and love towards, to be evident towards Onesimus. Love, this is true for you this morning as well. Your pastors care for you in the issues of gospel obedience. They long for your fruit of faith in Christ and love toward all the saints to abound in your care for one another. An encouragement to obedience. Then there's the man named Marcus. What a lessons contained in this name. We would remember this character as John Mark from our series on Acts in Acts 15, verses 37 to 39. He is the one who had caused the rift between Paul and Barnabas so that Paul left on his missionary journeys with Silas and Barnabas took John Mark and went in a separate direction. Brokenness. Barnabas saw something in John Mark and continued to nurture and mentor him to the point where Paul was reconciled to him. It could be that Paul learned from Barnabas in dealing with John Mark. And now Paul does the same with Onesimus. Because John Mark became a fellow worker in the gospel with Paul in 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. Listen to how Paul describes him here. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. He's useful. The one who departed from Paul initially now comes back and he's, he's useful. The one who was useless before is now useful. Mark's uselessness to Paul in Acts has now been changed into great usefulness in Colossians. And now he includes Mark again as a reminder to Philemon. Here's a man who was once useless, but he's useful. He's productive. In fact, he writes a gospel, a firsthand account of the life of Christ. Surely Mark's life and testimony should be encouragement for Philemon regarding Onesimus. Onesimus, whose, whose name means useless, now becomes useful. What an encouragement this is for those believers who struggle with their past uselessness. You look back at your life, you just can't shake your previous reputation of uselessness because of the sins in which you engaged. Here's a double encouragement from the life of Onesimus and Mark that God delights to take those who were formerly useless and make them useful. To give them opportunity to serve Christ and His people again. encouragement for those who are struggling to receive back those people who were useless to them before. Maybe you see someone come to faith in Christ and you say, that person, 
I had absolutely no use for them before. They were just an aggravation to me. But here's a double encouragement for you this morning. To recognize that the gospel doesn't leave people where they are. Though young saints may stumble and fall, God is at work. An encouragement to receive them back and to nurture them in the Lord. You see, only the gospel can produce such change. That's what we need to recognize. And there's the name Aristarchus, a man who was a member of the missionary team in Thessalonica. He'd endured persecution at Ephesus from the crowds there. He was an example of endurance in the faith, even during hard times, an encouragement to Philemon to press on, even in the hard matter of gospel obedience. Here's an encouragement for us to press on in the hard work of sanctification as the world increasingly becomes hostile to the gospel and its claims. Here's an encouragement to press on in the life of faith no matter what the cost, no matter what others might think about you. No matter the madness of the crowds, but to endure in the face of hardship and persecution. It's all been encouragement to this point. But then there was Demas, a troubling figure in the New Testament. At first it seemed that Demas was someone who followed the Lord faithfully. And here it seems that he's still following the Lord faithfully. But in, the, in the end he proved to be Mr. Temporary. He departed from Paul because he loved this present world. Philemon would not have known this until afterwards. But for us, He stands as a warning, doesn't he? The issue of gospel obedience will be the test of fidelity and faithfulness to Christ. Here's a warning for us who might be tempted to go back to the world and its pleasures. A warning this morning to those who are still with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, thinking you can strike this this neat little balance Demas was counted as a fellow laborer here, but as a deserter in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. What will the final word be on your life? Will Demas serve to keep you faithful, leaning on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or will his example urge you to repentance? Don't let the world attract you this morning. Don't let gospel obedience seem like drudgery and something that you don't want to engage in, but pursue faithfulness, independence on Christ alone. If you're unsaved, you're called to bow before the faithfulness of Christ, to receive Him, to repent and to believe in Him alone. A warning. But then there's Luke. Luke was Paul's faithful companion through his missionary journeys. Recorded the growth of the New Testament church through the lens of Paul's gospel ministry in the book of Acts. His gifts were used in service to the church with his physician's eye. 
The detailed accounts of Luke and Acts come from the hand of Luke himself. Remained in the background of Paul's ministry. And yet God used him to write two influential New Testament books. What can we write over Luke's life? Mundane faithfulness is the order of the day. The Lord does not require heroic Christian actions to be counted in a list of gospel fellow laborers. We don't all have to be Paul's. Those who pray and encourage and are present in the lives of others to help them is what God requires. But the example of Luke encourages us to do this morning. So all these men listed here are a source of encouragement for Philemon. They are fellow laborers, Paul says at the end of verse 24. These men were Paul's partners in the ministry of the gospel. Paul was not a one-man show either. His was a team ministry where each person played a vital role. It wasn't just the minister and the elders. It was the entire body. Paul was not in it for himself. In a sense, as he includes this term fellow laborer, he reminds Philemon of what he asked him to do in verse 17. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Here's a final invitation to be a fellow laborer in the issue regarding Onesimus, in the issue of gospel obedience. The issue of gospel obedience becomes one of whether Philemon will be a fellow laborer in harmony with others within the body of Christ. Or whether he will continue on in disobedience. That's true for us this morning as well. Are you harboring a root of bitterness for someone in the body or in your family? Will you be counted as a fellow laborer in the work of the gospel? It's not just preaching. The work of the gospel takes place in every single person's life, every single day, where we are called to put the gospel into action in our relationships with one another. Because we see from this short letter Our relationships with one another are really a litmus test for our relationship with Christ. The vitality, the liveliness of our relationship with Christ will be manifested in our relationship with others. That's what the Apostle John writes in 1 John, doesn't he? Hereby you know that you love God when you love the brethren. And so Paul closes his letter with a a greeting from fellow workers to encourage us to gospel obedience. But he also closes with a benediction from the Lord. He points Philemon upwards, even as he points us upwards. But let's So Paul concludes his letter with a benediction from the Lord. And that raises the question what is a benediction? Benediction simply means good word. 
Bene from the Latin, which means good. And diction means speaking. So speaking a good word. That's what a benediction is. And what is a benediction designed to do? It's designed to encourage, designed to encourage believers to lean on the grace that is pronounced in that benediction. That's the function of a benediction in the liturgy, in the worship service. This morning, we'll leave church after a benediction, the final word from God. A good word designed to encourage believers to go out into the world leaning on the grace that is pronounced in that benediction. To go out and to do what God calls us to do and to be. Paul begins his delicate letter to Philemon with the greetings of grace. And he ends his letter with a good word of grace, pointing to the grace of Christ. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The grace of Christ is what he provides to empower and enable those who are called to gospel obedience and reconciliation. Paul knows that this is not native to our disposition. He knows it's not native to Philemon's disposition to receive back Onesimus who had wronged him. And so where does he point him? To his own resources? No. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that sustains Paul, the grace that sustains Philemon, the grace that sustains Onesimus, the the grace that sustains believers this morning. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's a reminder that we need grace to extend forgiveness to others and reconcile and rebuild. What is grace? It's undeserved mercy. You see, again, Paul is reminding Philemon that our vertical relationship with Christ becomes the fuel for our horizontal relationships with others. There is no other way. Undeserved mercy. That's what we've been shown in Christ if we are believers. And that's our daily need. We never move beyond dependence on grace. We cannot say to ourselves this morning, I've matured to the point where I don't need grace anymore. No. We need grace. This just might be the need of someone who comes to you today or this week or or later. Someone who has wronged you and needs forgiveness and comes seeking that forgiveness. The need of of the hour in that moment is grace for you to extend grace to them. And grace for them to come and seek reconciliation. Don't forget what you have received and need on a daily basis. It's this grace 
receive vertically, that we're called to show horizontally. And this morning, we're pointed to the abundant grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice how Paul writes, our Lord Jesus Christ? This grace is not exclusive to one person or another. It's a grace that is extended to all believers. And we can go even further and say it's grace extended to sinners this morning who are dead in sins and trespasses, who God calls through the preaching of the gospel to come and to rest in Him and find forgiveness in Him. Abundant grace in Christ. The one who owns us, the one who binds us together, also supplies the grace to to glue us together, to heal and restore broken relationships in the body, in the family, in the workplace, in society. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the issue of gospel obedience doesn't just concern us. It's not about us. If we're pointed back to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning, it's about Him. It's about the glory and honor that He receives from reconciliation and restoration within the body. It's about Him. And it comes from Him alone. That's where we need to be together this morning. At the feet of Jesus. For His grace. This benediction pronounces that grace to Philemon. And he says, it's available for you, my brother. And when the grace is pronounced, the benediction is pronounced at the end of the service this morning and tonight. It's pointing out that grace is available for us. Paul wishes that this grace be with Philemon's spirit. Why spirit? It's a term that comprehends the heart, the soul, the inner man. Our spirits or in our inner beings need this transforming power of grace to do what seems impossible in healing and restoration. Of facing those who have hurt us, who have defrauded us, or sinned against us. It's this grace that sustains us no matter what the response of others is. It's this grace that stabilizes our response of the heart by recognizing that we have received grace from Christ and are called to extend that grace. Why do our spirits need grace? Because our spirits are naturally bent on revenge. We want to get back at that person. We want to hold that sin against them. Even sin done many, many years ago. We say, well, I just, I just can't get over it. What if Christ said that to you? What I'm not saying is that we need to overlook justice in certain cases. But what I am saying is that there is sin that can be forgiven. From person to person, we have no business holding it against others. 
And so it's this grace that, that Paul speaks, the good word of grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ blunts our desire for revenge and we, we stand in the light of that grace and we say, how can I hold sin against another believer? This grace reminds us that reconciliation is an issue of gospel obedience and not merely an issue of personal preference. And so where the gospel is, there is grace. And there should be unity and reconciliation. Where there is division, we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to pervade and change hearts and responses. Beloved, may God help us to put into practice what we've learned from this letter to Philemon. Not to think of it as something that was written in AD 60, 61, or 62. It was only relevant then. It's relevant now. And if it's relevant now, then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is also relevant and powerful and able to assist us and help us in being gospel bridges in receiving brothers or sisters that have wronged us, and reconciling and rebuilding relationships for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank Thee for this letter the practical admonishment and encouragement that we've received from it. But Lord, we pray that what we've learned would not just be in theory, would also be put into practice in dependence upon the grace that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray for broken relationships to be restored. We pray for those under, under discipline to be returned in repentance and faith and received back into fellowship. Or if that restoration brings joy in heaven, how much we should long for the joy that comes and pray towards that. Pray for those, Lord, who are harboring bitterness who need encouragement and admonishment this morning to pursue reconciliation. Help them to do so out of a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray for those, Lord, who are pursuing reconciliation without that. Without that vertical relationship, please work in their hearts to produce saving faith in them so they begin on a right foundation. Lord, we pray that these series of sermons, this series of sermons would produce the fruit of faith in love towards all the saints. That we would be a body 
that communicates forgiveness effectively and powerfully and winsomely. The world looking in would say how they love one another and seek to be drawn in. Grant this revival, Lord. Revival of love for Christ and love for others. What Edwards called charity and its fruits, love and its fruits. That our fruit would abide to the day of thy coming, to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.